0: HPpodcraft.com It was on a certain Thursday morning in December that the whole thing began with that unaccountable motion I thought I saw in my antique Copenhagen mirror. Something, it seemed to me, stirred. Something reflected in the glass though I was alone in my quarters. I paused and looked intently. Then... Deciding that the effect must be a pure illusion resumed the interrupted brushing of my hair.
1: You know, I don't know why I didn't have this vision when I read it the first time, but just now hearing that, I imagine Lovecraft with long blonde tresses (laughs) (laughs) sitting in his mirror brushing them. I brush my hair vigintillion times
2: before bed every night. Uh, Well, uh, that is the first paragraph of the H.P. Lovecraft and Henry S. Whitehead story, The Trap. You are listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Lackey.
1: And uh, I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: So, Chad, this is another team-up. Yeah,
1: another collaboration. Actually, I haven't seen this guy's name before. What's the deal with Henry S. Whitehead? Well, Henry
2: S. Whitehead was a, a correspondence friend of Lovecraft, and Lovecraft actually went to visit him in in, the, in Florida the summer of uh, mm-hmm. 30, 31, when he was down there, and he stayed with him for like three weeks. And there's, <laughs> there's a funny anecdote about... Um, him getting a group of young boys at a boys club, uh, Uh and Lovecraft does this kind of impromptu narration of the cats of Ulthar for the, for the boys. And supposedly they ended up and thought it was great. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, he was, he was friends with him for a while. There was another story that they do some work on, but he died, uh, before Lovecraft did and Lovecraft Mm -hmm. wrote a in memorandum of him that was to be published in weird tales. It got published, but it was edited down to like one third of what it was before because mm. Farnsworth just thought it was too wordy and stuff and you know, got rid <laughs> yeah. of it. But this guy, he's a very um accomplished writer. He's written a ton of stories for Weird Tales, Strange Tales and Adventure and a bunch of other stuff as well. And then mm-hmm. Arkham House took all of his stories and put them into two volumes. Uh, one is called... Jumbie and other uncanny tales and the other is West India lights so he
1: was really influenced by his time in the islands and the yeah he
2: Virgin yeah islands. he was from the Virgin islands and he became um uh, Anglican priest and right suppose it's weird too because it said um he said to Lovecraft that he graduated from Harvard but um, according to Joshi the guy didn't graduate from Harvard and uh, he studied at Harvard but he never graduated from there and he also said he got his PhD which he didn't really yeah so that's a little strange I don't understand what. maybe it was like
1: he said I attended Harvard well I mean I didn't really attend I didn't really enroll <laughs> I met some friends for lunch <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah yeah maybe that's exactly what it is well
1: he brings some of that in this story there's that opening uh quote which is about it's a guy who has this antique mirror and there's something in it that he found weird and the mirror he had he had discovered in uh, santa cruz
2: the virgin island santa cruz not santa right. cruz in california
1: right it's a saint croix i think is what it is not <laughs>
2: So the narrator of the story is a guy by the name of Gerald Kniven.
1: But Gerald is something you're getting out of the notes.
2: Yeah. uh, H.P. Lovecraft um, wrote a lot of letters about this, and he supposedly worked on the story either when he was—it's not exactly sure when he was working on it, but it was either when he visited him or they corresponded afterwards. But they at least discussed it and talked about it. And in his notes, he mentions that the guy's first name is Gerald. But
1: it's something that they worked on together. It's not him doing a revision of something that was...
2: Well, uh, as far as Joshi can tell... Well, this is what Lovecraft says specifically about it. He says that uh, he had to rewrite a lot of the characters. Mm. And he said that about three-fourths of it was his. Oh, okay. He says the central part was his was his creation, the central part, whatever the heck that means.
1: It was a kind of a quick read. I didn't, you know, it was kind of nice to get into this after having gone through some of the longer stories. Yeah. Basically what happens is this guy, he's the, uh, he was staying half as a guest and half as a tutor at this private school of a friend. Yep. Our main character, uh, Canavan. And he had brought with him this old mirror that he'd found in, in Santa Cruz, which we'd already said. Right. And uh, he, while he's brushing his hair, he sees some kind of suggestion of, of motion. And I think it's like what the mirror shows out through his room and it reflects on another mirror kind uh-huh. of creating this this tunnel effect yeah the way we set up this thing with there's a kid there robert grandison basically it's really cold and the,
2: the heating system of the school gives out and so he's like hey kids let's all go to my apartment my heat the heating works there and i'll just do class for my apartment and the kids say great
1: right and you know he's got that yeah that uh, i'm especially sensitive to low temperatures
2: yeah exactly <laughs> right
1: yeah, so all the kids come over to do their session uh, around his fireplace. After the session, one of the boys, Robert Grandison, wants to stick around because mm-hmm. he doesn't have anything to do with the next period. And the, the teacher says, yeah, that's fine. Robert pretty soon is staring into this mirror. He's looking at the dim, you know, kind of cloudy glass of it. It's really old mirror. But when he says, you know, what is it that's you about that mirror? The kid says, it's the corrugations in the glass or something.
2: He's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, well, yeah. it's right here. And he touches it and he goes, Oh! You know, and it pull it like pulls, and he's like, "What? What is it?" He's he it pulled, it felt like was pulling my finger, and he's like, "What? What are you talking? Yeah. You're crazy!" And he goes, "But you don't see it. You don't see this thing in there." And he goes, "Well, sit where I'm sitting." And then he he does, and then he could see there's like this little, kind of vortexy, swirly portion like in the mirror.
1: I don't know, I got kind of excited at that point in the story. I thought, what's I did too. Yeah, they're gonna go through this thing. There's gonna be some kind of mirror world or. Uh... It's gonna be like a poltergeist thing or something like
2: that it was a good setup i'm i was at this point i'm still super interested yeah but right then in the story the kid goes well you know i've got to take off now and get to get to class and he's like okay yeah uh maybe we can come back and check out this mirror later and the yeah. kid goes yeah great sure
1: he's away all afternoon and when he gets back it's like 5 15 and uh all the boys are assembled for like the end of the day yeah and the kid isn't there. No. In fact, he, that's when he was going to grab the kid and say, let's go back and check out this mirror some more. But the kid's not there. Yeah. When everybody kind of realizes that the kid's nowhere to be found, everybody flips out and they start looking everywhere. It's, yeah. it's kind of an embarrassing situation, you know, that the parents send their kid away to the school and they're like, we lost him. Sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they, I mean, they, the cops involved, his parents come down. They stay for about a, a, a few days, but things aren't looking good. So they go back. Then they have uh, winter break for, for Christmas mm-hmm. and everybody goes home. You know, all the kids yeah. go home, but there's you a know, real somber attitude because one of the kids just disappeared from the school. Mm-hmm. So it's just the, the headmaster, Jerry, and some of the help are there, and the headmaster's wife as well. He's kind of obsessed with this, you know, the, we're not obsessed, but he's worried about this kid, and th- that kind of made him forget about the mirror.
1: So one day he takes a nap, and it's some kind of revelatory nap. He had this feeling that Robert, the kid, was trying to communicate with him in his sleep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Just the feeling. Just the feeling.
1: It really becomes strong in his mind after this nap that somehow Robert is still alive. And this is when the narrator suddenly breaks in with some crazy stuff. He says, "I look, I was in the West Indies for a long time. And because I was there, you probably won't find it strange that I'm a genius at sleep research and that I can, <laughs> granted that telepathic forces exist let's say they do okay they do and i (laughs) they act really strongly on a sleeper and and because i was in the west indies i somehow understand
2: all these yeah he's more in tune with the the other yeah
1: it it suddenly becomes like uh beyond the wall of sleep beyond the wall of
2: sleep yeah so this really has a beyond the wall of sleep sort of feel to it and at this point i was hoping lovecraft was kind of past those types of things but uh we discover he is not
1: no this guy's an expert dreamer and expert at The telepathy of sleep and he actually has mental discipline that helps him you know pick up all types of strange things and remember them when he wakes up Mm -hmm. so he decides he's gonna really go after it the next time he sleeps he goes to bed hoping that he can get more clues about where the boy is
0: i must have dropped asleep instantaneously and from the vividness of my dreams and the absence of wakeful intervals i judged that my sleep was a very deep one It was 6.45 when I awakened, and there still lingered with me certain impressions, which I knew were carried over from the world of synomulant cerebration. Filling my mind was the vision of Robert Grandison, strangely transformed to a boy of a dull, greenish-dark-blue color. Robert desperately endeavoring to communicate with me by means of speech, yet finding some almost insuperable difficulty in so doing a wall of curious spatial separation seemed to stand between him and me a mysterious invisible wall which completely baffled us both
2: mm. hmm. so uh a dark blue green robert has showed up to an, into his dreams and it's
1: weird because even if he um, if Robert goes a distance away from him, he grows larger. yeah when he gets closer he gets smaller.
2: It's as if the perspective is inverse. All the laws yeah. of time and space no longer apply.
1: <laughs> and it was very difficult. Robert's trying to speak with him and communicate with him, but his his speech is very abnormally thick and dull yeah and it was it's hard for the narrator to understand what he's saying and he has to kind of really rack his brain and try very very difficult to comprehend
2: him but at, th- at this point the narrator s- starts to piece things together that mm-hmm. wait a minute that mirror something strange yeah. was going on with that mirror i bet you this has something to do with it that leads him to uh some good it- uh, italicized words and in some outrageous fashion robert grandison had passed out of our kin into the glass and was there immersed, waiting for release it was in he's, he's trapped in the mirror he got sucked into yeah. the mirror somehow
1: he's trapped in mirror world well he he decides he's got he's got to solve this puzzle mm-hmm. he basically starts hardcore sleeping I mean he, he actually washes over it in the story right he says I yeah. don't need to go into detail about the number of times I put into this but he yeah. just kept keeps going to sleep every chance he can and and trying more and more to communicate with Robert and he does eventually get Robert to sort of tell him what happened which is that Robert had gone back he was really fascinated by the mirror and mm-hmm. All through school, he had in his mind to come back and, and check it out some more, which he does. He goes back to uh, the teachers' quarters at around two th- uh, two twenty, but he he's not there. Mm-hmm. So the kid's just like, "Well, I'll just you know have a look at the mirror by myself." He gets this overwhelming kind of urge to put his hand on that center of the glass where yeah. it, there was that weird shape or the whorl When he does it, he feels this suction, and immediately after that, he's he's been wrenched into the mirror. So it it just that's how it happened. Yep, that's what he learns from him, Robert. Feel you know he can see that it's Bizarro world in there, right? I kept it <laughs> is Bizarro good, world. Goodbye, me and Bizarro. <laughs> While I was reading, we this walk story. through walls
2: and hang pictures on doors.
1: Everything's into opposite world. In fact, that's when this was a strange thing. He says I, that made it suddenly I could realize why Robert had a hard time speaking with me because his teeth and tongue and vocal cords must be reversed in
2: there. What does that mean? His face is inside out or something? That does Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's I, that's one of those things that really, was really drive me crazy and also about Bizarro World uh, because it's not opposite because if it was opposite, either he's flipped like it's a mirror opposite or is he turned inside out? It's really inconsistent throughout the story. What opposite means?
1: Yeah, right. Like it is in Bizarro World because he'll say in Bizarro World, our tires are square. Well, is that really the opposite of it? A-
2: no, it's not the opposite. Well, I guess it's Bizarro World. It is. He's not calling it opposite world. He's calling it Bizarro World.
1: True. It's just bizarre.
2: So I'm defending Bizarro World, but not
1: this story. <laughs> Bizarro World is more consistent than this. Here's yes, the, uh, which absolutely. Is, which is which is opposite world, okay?
2: Jerry the teacher, he's not telling the anybody about this because nobody would believe him. It's too crazy. Of course not. Yeah, and uh, you know he still has meals with the headmaster and all those things, and everybody's still really sad about it. But he it drives him more to, to try and figure out a way to communicate more steadily with him and get through this weird opposite physics so that they can actually start talking. Well, he does, and through the sleeping, he finds out that he's not in there by himself, that there are other people in this mirror world with him.
0: Among the earliest particulars which Robert gave was the fact that he was not alone in his confinement. Various others, all in antique garb, were in there with him. A corpulent middle-aged gentleman with tied cue and velvet knee breeches who spoke English fluently though with a marked Scandinavian accent. A rather beautiful small girl with very blond hair which appeared a glossy, dark blue. Two apparently mute Negroes whose features contrasted grotesquely with the pallor of their reversed-colored skins. Three young men, one young woman, a very small child, almost an infant, and a lean elderly Dane of extremely distinctive aspect and a kind of half-malign intellectuality of countenance. This last-name individual, Axel Holm, who wore the satin small clothes, flared skirted coat, and voluminous full-bottomed periwig of an age more than two centuries in the past, was notable among the little band as being the one responsible for the presence of them all. He it was who, skilled equally in the arts of magic and glassworking, had long ago fashioned the strange dimensional prison in which himself, his slaves, and those whom he chose to invite or allure thither were immured unchangingly for as long as the mirror might endure. So
1: there's sort of a sorcerer in there.
0: There is. A sorcerer with a periwig.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are the best kind. And he, he's pulling people in to be with him in this in this mirror world. Right. We get a couple more details around that, too. They don't need to eat in mirror world. They're just sort of nope. in stasis. No nutrition is necessary. And it goes on to give you more details about Holm. He was born in the early 17th century and was a glassblower and molder in Copenhagen. hmm legendary around Europe for his craftsmanship. In fact, I think it says even he's the first master mirror worker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. And But he also begins serious studies of the fourth dimension, other things that might be out there, and he says, well, maybe mirrors are the way that you get into other dimensions. Yeah. And maybe if I can construct a mirror that sort of has the right strange whorl configured piece, I can enter into these things so that I can prevent death from happening. In a exactly. way this reminded me of, of Cool Air. It's that same kind of premise. I'm going to figure out some way to beat death.
2: Exactly. You're right. You're right. And so he wants to test it out on these on, on before he goes in himself. So he gets the slaves. Mm-hmm. That's what those those slaves that are in there. He put pushed those poor guys in there and they, they yeah. they're fine. They're alive. And so he figures out, okay, it's safe and he's going to start loading in a bunch of stuff because he knows he wants to be in there forever so he puts in all of these books and like a really nice yeah. desk and all this furniture and things like that and now the thing about mirror world <laughs> uh, that, that
1: they, made me laugh though.
2: <laughs> it was funny well the thing about mirror world is that nothing is real in mirror world everything there's like trees and bushes and things like that but you can't touch them interact with them because they're all from the reflections of the real world right and one of the things he figures out is that when you're in in the mirror world version of a place that the mirror has seen previously, your ghostly form is actually in there. And, and there's points, too, where uh, Robert is able to go to where the mirror is and appear in like the living room in the real world, not mm-hmm. just in the mirror or when somebody's dreaming. So there's a connection right. to those places.
1: There's a detail around there that I found interesting be- because they contradicted later in the story where home. He uh he thinks I think it says undoubtedly a man of his knowledge realized that absence from the outside world, if deferred beyond the natural span of life, must mean instant disillusion at the first attempt to return to that world. So he knows that if he once he's in that mirror, he can never come out. If he does, it'll mean he instantly sort of disappears.
2: Right, right.
1: So the narrator knows that, but later on he he acts as if he doesn't know that. You know, he what's gonna happen? I don't he's I gotta be careful when I try to get Robert out of here because the thought of that sorcerer being here in my living room is terrible. But, yeah. You know, he also knows that that's not possible. So I found that stupid. <laughs> that's all I'm saying.
2: Maybe from that, that's what the sorcerer thought. But then our guy, Jerry, goes, oh, wait, you know what? I've got a way that might work. That, that'll that get get out Robert, but it also might mm. release the sorcerer. That's what the sorcerer thought, there's no way out. Maybe being on the outside, he figured out a way to get people. I don't know. It's it's I don't it's know. it's not it's not great writing. I, you know, when he
1: talks about, he sent ahead of him his books and his writing materials and the chair and table of workmanship. You know, I just th- at some point he's going to get tired of those books, right? Yeah, I know. Because he's in there for eternity. It just it made me thought like, what if in the it was the 1980s when you did it. You know, 20 years later, <laughs> you're stuck with your VHS copy of Harry and the Hendersons and. You know. The same three books.
2: Right. Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Those are great movies. I love them. But how many times can you watch them? I mean, it's eternity. Anyway,
1: well, he's in there with his slaves. He figures out at some point how to get more people in there with him. He kind of has a telepathic method. of
2: Starts learning to telepathically communicate with people on the outside. Mm-hmm. And so he starts tricking people to to kind of come in the mirror. And that's who all these other folks that are around in the in the mirror world. Uh, yeah. the, over the years now nobody's come in for a long time because that if, if you recall the mirror was kind of in storage after he picked it up in the west indies he just put it away right. for quite a few years so nobody's you know you have to have that mirror to get into it and that's just been out of commission but now it's back and poor robert was the first guy to get sucked in <laughs> i just
1: i, th- I would have thought that holm i mean he's a genius and that he discovered a way to go through a mirror to get into another dimension yet he doesn't seem to have taken much action to preserve that mirror it seems like he just sort of let it go
2: yeah yeah you would think that you would uh, entrust generations of family or or something or pass it
1: down in a will or or, you know so it doesn't get what if it ends up being the mirror in the Guy's basement in Silence of the Lambs, or something, and that's what you all have to look at all day long.
2: (laughs) Or make it a really beautiful mirror and have it somehow put into into a museum so that, like, you always will have access to lots of people. You know, that's what I would have done. Because obviously, he was this master mirror maker and just go, you know what? Hey, when I die or disappear, I want to donate this mirror to this museum. And, you know, like, boom, you know, you got it there.
1: Instead, it's passed from yard sale to yard sale. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: So, with all this information, uh, our But manager... Holm,
1: yeah, I should mention, though, Holm is kind of, he's got a menacing, there's something menacing about him, because when the boy communicates with the teacher, he always right. does it when Holm's not around Right. He's, in Mirror World.
2: He's definitely an evil sorcerer. Yeah, the guy that's actually been helping him out was the, the other fellow who, um, the kind of corpulent English or mm-hmm. white guy with the Scandinavian accent was Hare Thiele, I think was his name, and he's the one that's sort of been filling in robert on all the right on all the information so he's kind of his ally in in that in that world but at this point jerry decides okay i've got a plan i don't know Mm -hmm. they don't it doesn't explain why he thinks this plan will work or what physics it's based in or what kind of magic but his plan is to get a get a glass cutter and cut the world (laughs) out of the mirror
1: which to me isn't much of a plan. No. He, at least he admits it. He says, "My, pro- admittedly, this wasn't a very complicated plan."
2: <laughs> but I mean, why? I, he might as well have like wiped a, a booger on it for you know. It <laughs> it's just ridiculous that it doesn't make. Why would uh, cutting I it out? It, it could have you know destroyed everything. It just seemed. I mean, if he said, I was hopeless, I didn't know what to do. I don't have a plan. I just had to do something. So I just decided yeah. I was going to cut it out. But he doesn't say that. He says, I have a plan. And this is not a plan. He just cuts out the glass. The glass falls <laughs> on the carpet. The whole place begins to to stink of dusty, uh, yeah. dusty air, and he passes out.
1: Right, of course. The darkness of oblivion passes over him, and when he wakes up, uh, the kid's out. Robert's there. He made it out of the mirror.
2: Yeah. He's fine.
1: I guess that dust was the disillusion of everybody in there because they'd been in there past their natural life. So yes. the minute the section of the mirror that contains the portal was cut out, they turned into dust, and that's probably what that terrible odor was.
2: Right. Well, now now he's got to en- enact his plan.
0: Your favorite.
1: Plan. Oh yeah. Well, he's got he's got to explain where this kid's been because the kid's been missing for a while.
0: Yeah, a couple weeks. Uh, and yeah,
1: yeah, he's got a great plan for that too. It says.
0: I need mention only briefly my method of restoring Robert in a seemingly normal way, how I smuggled him out of the window in an old hat and sweater of mine, took him down the road in my quietly started car, coached him carefully in a tale I had devised, and returned to arouse Brown with the news of his discovery. He had, I explained, been walking alone on the afternoon of his disappearance, and had been offered a motor ride by two young men who as a joke and over his protests that he could go no farther than Stamford and back, had begun to carry him past that town. Jumping from the car during a traffic stop with the intention of hitchhiking back before call over, he had been hit by another car just as the traffic was released, awakening ten days later in the Greenwich home of the people who had hit him. On learning the date, I added, he had immediately telephoned the school, and I being the only one awake, had answered the call and hurried after him in my car without stopping to notify anyone.
1: That is a terrible plan. It's a terrible plan. It is full of holes. There's all of these other people that don't exist. Yeah. In the plan, he'd been offered a ride by two guys who, as a joke, carried a poor kid really far. And then when the kid jumped out, somebody hit him. Yeah. So who is this guy who hit him with a car? And then he was, for 10 days, he was unconscious in the home of some nice people. Oh, I guess he's in the home of the people who hit him. Yeah. 10 days unconscious. Did they contact the hospital, the police, anything? No. What were they doing? No. Just letting him sleep for 10 days? That yeah. kid's in serious trouble if he's in a... That's a coma.
2: It's a coma, yeah. That is.
1: So a the coma. kid was in a coma in somebody's house who didn't contact anybody. The kid woke up and called. And our guy even says, well, I was the only one awake. How does he know he was the only one awake? He can't corroborate that. Yeah. Somebody else could have heard the call, but there was no call, and they didn't hear it. Seriously, this is the worst plan. It made me furious when I got to this yeah. part of the story. It's Because ridiculous. he says, of course it worked. Yeah. Of course my plan worked. Why wouldn't it? And I'm like, what do you mean? Just the careless scrutiny just makes the whole thing fall apart. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you could easily, I mean, if I was a parent and I go, oh, where where was he? What happened? Oh, these people had him. These people, who are these people? We need to call the police.
1: Oh, no, no. He was just unconscious with them. Nobody checks into it at all.
2: Or even even if you're thankful, you're like, wow, they took care of my son. Those are nice people. I want to meet them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, who would just let it go? It seems, <sighs> it does seem completely preposterous. Jerry does some research and finds out this thing about, uh, finds out a lot about Axel and He was this. Luciferian of of renown born in in 1612 and goes into all the stuff about the Loki mirror, the Loki glass and and, uh, compares it to like Thor's hammer and all these other things
1: The mirror itself, before he added his dimensional gate, was enchanted. He purloined it from a fellow sorcerer who had entrusted it to him for polishing. (laughs) That's how he acquired the mirror. Some sorcerer was like, here is my enchanted mirror. Please be careful when you polish it. (laughs) And He made off with it. It's just so stupid.
2: You would think the sorcerer would want, want that mirror back eventually. Yeah, but I mean, he purloined it, he just took off with it.
1: But this guy's the master mirror maker in all of Europe, so I don't imagine that it would have been difficult for him to you know to hey, find up. I need my mirror back, buddy. I I know exactly where you are. Yeah. But that's the big revelation, right? The kid when he comes out of the, the kid mirrors, comes back,
2: yeah, his heart is on the other side of his body. He writes with his left hand instead of his right hand. He's mirror boy.
1: Not completely. He'd started re-reversing, but it just didn't completely finish. So his organs are on one side of his body. Really right. weird. Yeah. He he sees that he's writing He'd been right-handed his whole life, and now he writes with his left hand. Yeah. He, he, made, him, he made the kid unbutton his coat so he could listen to his cardiac action. <laughs> and what he finds out is the heart is on the other side. Pretty alarming, man. That's I mean, that alarming. could really cause some serious health problems. I wish this teacher would tell somebody. And then the story concludes.
0: I had not merely opened Holmes' trap. I had destroyed it. And at the particular stage of destruction marked by Robert's escape, some of the reversing properties had perished. It is significant that in escaping, Robert had felt no pain comparable to that experienced in entering. Had the destruction been still more sudden, I shiver to think of the monstrosities of color the boy would have always have been forced to bear. I may add that, after discovering Robert's reversal, I examined the rumpled and discarded clothing he had worn in the glass, and found, as I had expected, a complete reversal of pockets, buttons, and all other corresponding details. At this moment, Loki's glass, just as it fell on my bokhara rug from the now patched and harmless mirror, weighs down a sheaf of papers on my writing table, here in St. Thomas, venerable capital of the Danish West Indies, now the American Virgin Islands. Various collectors of old sandwich glass have mistaken it for an odd bit of that early American product. But I privately realize that my paperweight is an antique of far subtler and more Palaegean craftsmanship. Still, I do not disillusion such enthusiasts. And that's the end of it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he keeps the mirror for some reason. I don't know why he did that, but...
2: Uh... Eh, I guess it's a sorcerer's mirror. Maybe it comes, it'll come in handy in the future if he needs to do magic. I don't know. The story was lame.
1: It was lame, yeah. I didn't like it that much. Had a kind of interesting opening, and then yeah, yeah but dull.
2: Yeah, I was interested in the in the beginning, and then uh, quickly became bored and didn't really want anything more to do with it.
1: I, I don't have a lot of knowledge about this author. I know that there's some argument I saw online where people are saying that some of his writing is somewhat homoerotic, or, or maybe he was gay. I don't really care, but I, as pertains to the story, and I, I'll be the first to say, you know, when I was a student teacher, it used to drive me absolutely crazy that. I had to always be concerned. Like, if a a female student was in my classroom and she wanted to talk to me, I made sure we spoke in the hallway so people didn't think that we were alone in a room. I have to do that because just the current climate, people just make these assumptions that everybody's a a pedophile and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. It's very frustrating, and I don't like it when people read that kind of stuff into stories. But I got to think that the parents in this would think, so this kid disappeared for what? And you're the only one who knows where he went, and you got this trumped up stories? Hey, yeah. what's going on here buddy <laughs> what's yeah. your relationship to this kid like the whole story had a kind of pedo vibe to it i just got creeped out by it kind of i i, I didn't mean to but i did
2: right yeah there was yeah i got i the thought did cross my mind that he was in in you know in the room having students young boy students hang out with him in his place yeah. and then he's Kind of has him in this mirror, trapped in a mirror, you know, sort of, (laughs) you know, he didn't do it. But, you know, there was this Uh, kind of intense relationship between this. And not to say that there can't be completely platonic uh, relationships between adults In fact, I think that's all that is there is in
1: this story. I'm saying that because his his uh, explanation for where the kid had been was so full of holes. That I, I as as this kid's parent would think that something funny was going on. Right. You know? Right. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. It's it's. I guess. But I, I haven't read any of his other stories. But from what I've heard online, uh, in his collections, if you read them, there's a lot of, uh, more, homoerotic and, you know, young men story themes in there, yeah. kind of kind of implying that he was he was um he's gay, or well, you know had those kind of tendencies. I don't care. It doesn't really matter.
1: I would read. I would say that, it, that, that I, I thought um, there was enough of interest in here that I would maybe check out a couple more of his stories.
2: Yeah. Now I'm curious to how much is well because if if the last three fourths of this were Lovecrafts, I've, then I'm saying I, you know that's kind of where it took took a crap for me. And <laughs> the beginning was was good. Yeah. I was interested.
1: But if his other stories are about the West Indies and, and maybe some maybe some good voodoo things, yeah, you know, he
2: does write a lot of voodoo stories as well. Yeah, yeah. he was really into that stuff. So you know there might might be I like that. Might be interesting. I, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious. I've never even heard of him before this story came up. So,
1: did this? You might have already said. Was this story in Weird Tales?
2: No, it got published uh, in. It was just part of the Arkham House no, no. edition later. It or? got published in Strange Tales in March of
1: 1932. Oh no! Wait, didn't this guy die in 31?
2: He died in 32.
1: It's always a bummer when you know people's stories come out after they're after they die.
2: No, well, I'm not exactly sure when. Uh, well, he died. He died the same year that it came out, so it might have came out before he died or after he died. But he's been published; he was published a lot. He had a lot of stories that were published, so it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. F-
1: I'm a uh, self-loathing nerd in a, in a lot of ways. One of the things that I can't stand is when I hear Star Wars references in my head. I don't want to, but they're there. Every time I looked at the title for this story, all I could think was, "It's a trap." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that
2: Admiral Akbar says. Oh, in yes. Oh, you know, I know. Yeah. I am, yeah, of course. It's a trap. It's a trap. Oh, Admiral Akbar. Well, that's about it. Next week and the following week, we will be off. We are taking a two-week hiatus just to kind of get our strength back and.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to Florida.
2: You're going to Florida. Yeah. Are you like gonna crap at the floor? Are you gonna go um, wrestle? Anybody down in Florida?
1: <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, it's just to go see a friend, but I'm sure there'll be some wrestling involved at some. Yes. Time. I'd like to thank our reader once again, Tim X,
2: better known as Tim Moochie,
1: who's a friend of the show and and uh, you know had written in some time ago to say, would you guys mind if I read? And I said yes, and he did, and he did an excellent job. We really appreciated yeah, it. Tim. great work,
2: Tim. Thanks, man.
1: Uh, yeah, sorry we didn't like the story so much, but your reading was top notch.
2: I also want to thank Mike Mann for being our web genius and making all the magic happen and and sorting out. We had a a server issue uh, last week, but Mike swept in and made all the magic work again. So bless bless him.
1: And we're still doing the ransom for the Call of Cthulhu. I think we're about two thirds of the way there. But as soon as we finish raising the money, uh, we will have that out on the airwaves, a full reading of the Call of Cthulhu featuring Andrew Lehman. It's going to be good stuff uh, with some music by Reber Clark.
2: I can't wait, dude. I'm so excited.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Uh, We haven't gone in the studio to record it, but please, if you have any pocket change and you like our show, give us a little money so we can get around to booking the studio time and doing that. We'd really appreciate it.
2: Right. And if you want to read a really kick-ass book, I highly recommend Children in Heat by Chad Pfeiffer.
1: Yeah, please, check it out. It's at the Amazon store. Some people are giving it good reviews. They're liking it.
2: Yeah, and if you Uh, don't have a Kindle and you want to read this book... Send us an email. We'll get you a copy of it somehow. You know, we'll you know you could do a PayPal thing. We'll, we'll work it out and give you a PDF. If you want to read this book, we can make it happen.
1: <laughs> we can. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll send the PDF to people if they want to
2: they Exactly. Want to it out. Exactly. All right, cool. All right. Uh, with that, I am Chris Lackey.
1: And I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
1: Here at hppodcraft.com.
0: HPpodcraft.com It's a trap!